Let us pray. Father, we do thank you again for this night, for everyone getting here safely, and for this opportunity we have to do to spend in your presence and in your word. We pray, Father, that you'll give us insight and wisdom into your word. And we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we have actually, like I say, a, a very wonderful opportunity to um, go through one chapter a week, not having to rush and race and, and uh, speed along, and we can ask lots of questions and have lots of discussion. Actually, I'm looking forward to having lots of questions and lots of discussion. <laughs> Otherwise, it'll be a very short class. Uh, it's just uh, me sharing what I know. Here's Justin, so... Oh. <laughs> and so we'll... Uh, we're talking about there's, there's, lots of questions. There's one on the couch. <laughs> or bring a chair. So uh, we'll... Uh, we're starting out in Philippians. Um, just as a... Just as a... Good um, specter. Okay. Yeah. You can always sit in the middle of the floor and there's a big open space right here. <laughs> As a reminder or in review of last week, what did uh, what do we know about Philippians? Give me some background. Give me give me what you remember about Philippians. It's thought to be the last book written by Paul. It's thought to be the last book written by Paul. Yes, good. The most personal. Yeah, very personal. Exactly. Why? Why? Why was it so personal? Do you think? Um, I don't have a short answer for this. That's all right. Give a long answer. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> because Paul was um, in prison or just getting out of prison, and um, the Philippians were the people that he was spending time with, and it's, I don't know if it was actually fully decided, but they probably treated him the best, and they probably showed him the most love, and so he was really just praising them um, and saying thanks uh, in his letters, and so it's probably one of the most joyous, I guess. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah, he... uh he obviously loved these people. The be, just be the the, the the way he talks to them, the, the things that he talks about, how open he is with them. And this is not a letter where he's chewing anybody out. You know, it, it, you know, all the other letters, Ephesians and Philippians, or Ephesians and and uh, Colossians and Galatians, and all of those. There, there's issues that he's dealing with, and he's having to chew them out. And the Corinthians, especially. I mean, he was. He had to get almost nasty with them, you know, to, for them to hear him. And, and so here, he is, he's actually, uh, he's really enjoying talking to them. He's, you can see, you can just hear that in his voice. So he talks about some things, uh, even right away in the first, uh, first chapter, that is very personal, very, very uh, open, in, which he didn't necessarily do in, all, in, in some of the other books. Church in Europe yes. at the time. Mm-hmm. For, they probably weren't influenced by a lot of Jewish um, teachings. Right. Yep. <clears throat> because they, there aren't a lot of Jews there, and that's one of the other things that we, we noticed was that there weren't enough there to have a synagogue. 
there were some, and they were meeting and when they met together, but for the most part, it was they're they're all Romans, Roman citizens, probably from Rome, or you know, but they were direct Roman citizens. Why? What was what was significant about the area? Do you remember what that it was? was? A retirement community for soldiers. It was a retirement community for soldiers. Yeah, and they they would give them tracts of land for for their service. That was the, that was kind of their pension. Was they were given a place to live. So, um, so in in that it was very. Roman, and so you can see why um, when he was there, he had trouble. He was there during the during the uh, uh, second missionary journey or third? I think second. I think it was yeah second. It was second missionary journey, and while he was there, that was the city where where the uh, the woman who was uh, possessed, but also they were using her for telling the uh, telling the future that Paul kicked the demon out and he ended up in jail overnight. And as he was in jail, um, the uh, jailer and his family got saved. And so a lot of history there. There's a lot of history with um, the church, a lot of history in the, in the, with the, the area. And so as he's writing to them, um, he has, it has been... Uh, I found that this week that there he had been. Notes. Uh, is it his first or second imprisonment in Rome? It is his first. Okay. Yeah, it's the the it's the one when he was arrested in um, in Jerusalem, and they tried to kill him. They tried to stone him. Okay. The guard took him away. Uh, intervened. Stopped it. Were taking were and they were taking him to whip him to find out what was wrong. He said, "I'm, I'm a Roman citizen," and from there he was he was put in prison. But then they were gonna they were going to kill him. Uh, there was a plot against him, and the and they um, got him out of the city. They got him out of the city. the 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 Roman guard got him out of the city. Took him to Caesarea, I believe, or Caesarea. And while he was there. Um, he stood before Festus and Agrippa, I believe. Mm-hmm. And while he was being judged by them, he, he interested. It's one of the, one of the things in the Bible where I go, why did he do that? They were going to let him off. They were going to let him off. They weren't going to charge him with anything. And he said, I appeal to Caesar. Well, as soon as any Roman citizen appeals to Caesar, then they must go to Caesar. It, it's it, There's not a question of whether they can or, or whether they should or shouldn't, they they must go to Caesar and the case be held uh, in front of Caesar. And so, why did that happen? I mean, it, you know, why was he? I've I've always wondered that. You know, as a not as a pastor, but just as a Christian, I was reading that. Go, <clears throat> did God lead him to do that? Did he make a mistake? Did he say something that he shouldn't have said? Yet it talks about how God used that for him to even testify to Caesar. So, you know, Caesar was able, or he was actually able to witness to Caesar at his trial. So, you know, it's one of those interesting parts of the Bible. You go, hmm, I wonder why that happened the way it happened. Well, it does say that um, um, speaking in a way that's to be helpful for us is that when we are brought before councils and and question that we don't need to worry about what we're going to say because the Holy Spirit will give us the words at the time. And I think that that's actually what what happened. Paul, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, said those words. Mm-hmm. It was probably not his own understanding that really 
prompted that, and and certainly it was it was such that it it made possible what what was foretold of him that he would he would, he would witness to the, the leaders. So. Yep, yep. That he'd be taken away in chain, or his hands would be bound and and led, yeah, where he didn't want to go and. <clears throat> so a, it set in motion a a pretty amazing deal. He was able to to to, to uh, speak in front of two different kings and Caesar, and everybody in between. And we'll when we when we begin to read this tonight, um, we'll see that he has he looks at what's happening as a blessing. He does not look at it as a problem. He does not look at it as a curse or a or a, a misfortune. He looks at it as a as a advancement of the gospel. So we have a lot to learn from that. That's that's pretty amazing. And actually, that that I think lends credibility to that it was the spirit that prompted him to say that, and that he actually knew that it was the spirit that had prompted him to say that. Mm-hmm. As, as many opportunities as he had afterwards to say, "What was I thinking?" <laughs> and I would have been free by now. Um, he could have done that, and that obviously is, doesn't show up anywhere in his response. He he does respond and. This is awesome. This is gonna. I'm gonna be standing right where Jesus said I was going to be standing, and mm-hmm. and uh, so that's that's the thing. I, I think that lends credibility to that. I mean, when the Holy Spirit prompts you to say something, and you know it was Him, you don't have to make excuses for it. You don't have to apologize for it or regret having said it when you know it was Him. And mm-hmm. I think there is an ability to know what it is the Holy Spirit. Yep. Amen. And, and so then that lends itself, especially after we just got done talking about um, Esther, is that if God leads you to do something, whatever it may be, and you suffer for doing it, Esther suffered. How did she suffer? How did, how did, how did Esther suffer? She was kidnapped. <laughs> she was kidnapped, yes. Put in a harem. Put in a harem against her will. Married to some guy she didn't, you know, didn't necessarily desire to choose, and think of it this way: it was illegal uh, scripturally for her to marry him. It was God, it was against God's will for for uh, her to marry him. It was another interesting thing, you know. God gave the commandments, but at different times He directed people to do things against the commandments. <clears throat> Samson. Remember when Samson was going to marry Delilah? And his parents were seeking God, going, God, why are you, why is this happening? No, not this, Lord. And the Holy Spirit spoke to Samson's parents and said, this is supposed to happen. This needs to happen. I'm going to show my power through this situation. Huh? He wasn't supposed to marry outside of the Jewish race. Esther wasn't supposed to marry outside the Jewish race. Many, you know, many different things that that happened. It seems to contradict even Joseph and Mary. I mean, Joseph was going to divorce her quietly. That legally, that he had the right to do so. Yep. So, um, yeah, it's just it's very interesting to me that it, that things are not always cut and dry. Um, that that God is bigger than what we even can understand. And there are times when you're when we must suffer, whatever suffer means, and in it is still God's will, and we can find, and we can find joy. Oh, that, yeah, that'll that'll help. That'll work.
I was actually just thinking about something about that today, actually, um, that we're supposed to, I mean, or at least this is the way I feel, we're supposed to suffer in Jesus' name so that when we rejoice, we are rejoicing in his name, and we can say, I was suffering, I was doing all of this, but I believed in God, I believed that Jesus was going to get me through this and save me, and now I've gotten over it, and it's to his glory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just think that we often lose sight when we are going through this or that. That <laughs> I think it's common for people to automatically equate their suffering with having suffered for the sake of Christ and there are, there are some indications when, when you actually do suffer for the sake of Christ. It says if you leave if you leave brother and house and whatever that, that you're going to get that um, back and it says in this life. And so when, when it looks like somebody has left a brother for example and they aren't getting that did they do it for the sake of Jesus Christ or were they doing it out of their own understanding and their own pride and their own stubbornness and excluding themselves? Were they actually being consistent with the word themselves? Because the word is true and it, it says for the, for the sake of, of Christ, it says if, if, you, if you are persecuted, persecuted for my name's sake, then, then there's things that it talks about. But mm-hmm. you can be persecuted because you're um, being stubborn and <clears throat> Making everybody mad at you too. So there's there's worldly ways to suffer that do not necessarily invoke the promises of God when dealing with what it talks about. First well, suffering. that's where the enlightenment comes into play. I mean, in that case, you really don't have an enlightenment in it. You're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So we begin. We begin with Philippians chapter one. Verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are, in, who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So the church in Philippi was founded by Paul, and this was about 11 years. So in the, at the writing of this, this is about 11 years after the church was established. So there's a good church there by now. There's It's well established. It's a... It's a uh, um, it's a steady church that has grown over time. He's sending it to a church that's actually healthy, which is opposed to, you know, or, or comparatively opposed to other other churches that he has been dealing with. Um, he had been there. He started that church on the second second missionary journey. He took three missionary journeys in all, three different trips, three different circuits of. Uh, ministry. Where in Europe is this modern day? Greece? Uh, it is in, where's the, anybody have the map? It's in the okay. southern part of, it's probably Greece, yes, because Rome, Rome is here, it's right up over here. So modern day, in what country? Greece? Greece, I think it was Greece. Greece. So yes. Here's Philippi and here's Athens. Yeah. So here's the map. It's right there. So it's Macedonia is right here. There's the Black Sea, okay. so so maybe Turkey or Greece. No, Turkey is over here. Right here, isn't it? Uh, there's the Black Sea. It actually looks like Bulgaria. 
because if that's the Black Sea, the up here is where I was in in uh, uh, Romania at uh, Constanza, and right below that is Bulgaria. Let me. Um, okay, I, I think I looked it up on a, for modern countries, and it is one of the one of the former Soviet bloc countries, like Bulgaria or see, because Macedonia. It might be Macedonia. There's actually a country in Macedonia, which is just to the east of Bulgaria. And he said he said that he. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't talk about it last week. What country it was? Not oh, not in modern day. We oh. didn't. No. And. Um, Philippi and Philadelphia, not the same thing. Right? Not the same no. thing. No, two different churches. I got a bunch of maps in here. If I can find them. Wikipedia says it's in Greece. So you know, and actually looking, it does. Uh, it, yeah. it looking at the map here, Bulgaria does not touch the ocean or the sea at the bottom. So yeah. it would be Greece. Yep, it definitely is Greece. Because Thessalonica. So here you go. Look, Deb. There's Thessalonica down there. And mm -hmm. so it's probably right in here somewhere. So that would be Greece. Because it goes Greece goes all the way over to here. Oh, okay. Yep. Italy or I'm sorry, Turkey is over here. And so Yep. It'd be so it's there's a couple of towns. Let me say this. I mean obviously this isn't to scale or it is Looks like about where it says Kavala or Xanthia. So definitely Greece. All right. So he addressed this to, to three different people, three different groups of people, to all the saints, the saints in Christ Jesus. So that means all the Christians in Philippi, but also. Um, all the Christians are saints, but only in Christ Jesus. So it was all the all the born again uh, people in Philippi. Secondly, it was addressed to the bishops or to the uh, overseers, depending on which uh, version you're listening to or looking at. Bishops or overseers, in a general sense, meant those with leadership responsibilities. All kinds of different people are are leaders within a church uh, at different levels. And then, um, thirdly, but obviously not lastly, to the deacons. The deacons are recognized positions of service. And so people who are, are in charge of doing something within the church. And many churches, I don't know, you know, it depends on what churches you came out of at any given time, there are these kinds of designations. We have the same sort of deal but they're but but we call them different things. Um, within our church, we have uh, you know the pastor. Then there is the um, the council, what what we call a council, and then we have the leaders um, and the leaders, uh, and then then people who work in the different ministries. So the leaders would be like deacons. In a you know in a different church, our leaders group would be like the deacons. 
the council would be like the uh, the overseers or the, the the bishops in Salt Lake. They would be in some churches, and uh, so on and so forth. So the leaders are the ones who are like over the um, sound ministry, over the the worship team, the leader over the the ushers and the the PowerPoint and the you know all the different in its service things. It's 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 people working together to, to, to do the stuff that it takes to get a church, get the church done or to, to get the things in the church done and uh, and so on and so forth. So the difference is is we you know people take a verse like this and, and other verses obviously because in first uh, uh, and second Timothy it talks about bishops and deacons and putting people in, in, in places of power. Uh, Titus, different books talk about the qualifications. For these people, so on and so forth, but then many churches took that and said, "Okay, well, these are people of this is kind of how things are ranked within the church." When it's really the opposite, you know, the the the, the really the, the way leadership should run within a church is like an inverted pyramid. The the pastor should be the servant of all in the within the church, and then the the elder board or the the council or here it calls them bishops. Are the are the next level of servants that they they should be serving? They're they're involved with helping people, and then the leaders are serving their individual people. They're serving them by by organizing and and ordering you know ordering supplies and and you know uh, scheduling and doing all that kind of work so that when people um, are are available to do their active service. It's easier for them. It's it, it's to in, in you know it's to help them be better servants uh, to the body of Christ. When it gets flipped around the other way, when it becomes a hierarchy, immediately it starts getting distorted and gets weird, uh, really weird. So, but that's what he's talking to here is these different groups, so all the Christians, but also the leadership within the church. Verse two: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul is, is remembering them. But the reason he remembers them is he was praying. He was praying for them. And that those prayers, while he was praying for them, were prayers of joy. Now, he didn't say that to the other churches, unless he was kind of buttering them up. You know, what was the one uh, book where he was, where he was uh, saying, oh, you guys are so awesome and this and that, but I got something I want to talk to you about. <laughs> he, was, he was kind of doing the, uh, the sandwich method. You know, we, we call it the sandwich where you, uh, you, you, get, you compliment them and you build them up and then you let them have the meat of what you're really there to talk about and then you give them more compliments at the end. You know, I know you can do it. And so on. Here he actually means it. He's just happy. He's happy to be remembering them. He's happy to be praying for them. And it, the, the, the remembrance brings him joy. And the reason he's full of joy is because they're partners in the work with him. Now, had they ever been on a missionary journey? with him no no they hadn't 
They hadn't gone on a missionary journey. He, he traveled with a very small group of people. They had never gone with him. Had they... Uh, other ways you can work on You know, had they physically assisted him in any way? Whatever that may be. No, not really. But what they had done is they had financially given and prayed for him. And it doesn't say here, I mean, he says later on, he's thanking them for the gift that they sent this time with, uh, with uh, uh, was it, who was it, Timothy? It wasn't Timothy. Who was it that was bringing it back, bringing back the, the letter? Does anybody remember? Uh, who was it that was sick? It was, all of a sudden I'm blanking here. Is it another That's it. It was Epaphroditus, yes. They, so, he, I'm trying to, yes, there it is. It's in the last chapter. It is Epaphroditus, and he is sending back the letter with him, but Epaphroditus had come to him because he brought him a gift. He brought him financial aid to help while he was in prison. Um, and we had said last week that the uh, the prisons of those days were not like today, where the government pays for whatever. You get thrown in prison, and if you want to survive, others help you. They have to they have to bring in food, they bring in clothing, they bring in whatever. Um, which is interesting because in in many other parts of the world, that's the way things run. That's that is how you know if you get put in prison, the government doesn't take care of you. They don't feed you. They don't bring you medicine. They don't. Uh, even if you're in the hospital, um, Hungary, in Hungary and Romania, if you end up in the hospital, then your family brings sheets for your bed. And if they don't bring sheets for your bed, you don't have sheets for your bed. If you need a medicine, the doctor gives you the prescription, you have to go out, buy whatever medicine that the doctor wants to give you, give them, you bring it back, and then he gives it to them. Um, there is no pharmacy within the hospital. If uh, you want a bath, if you need a bath after you've been there for any given amount of time, the family comes in and gives the bath. I mean, it's not a, uh, it's not anything like what we have here in America. Absolutely amazing. Uh, Give it time. Well, exactly. <laughs> <coughs> are there nurses in Hungary? Yes, there are nurses. But they they only are there to to uh, um, administer the drugs. When the doctor will say, "Okay, now give him, make sure he has so XX, you know, so much per dose and so on," they'll do that. Uh, they may do cleaning too. I've seen I've seen women that look like nurses, you know, mopping the floors, and but they're not changing bed sheets. They're not doing any of that kind There's of no stuff. There's no patient contact. <laughs> well, very little. Very little. Yeah, yeah, very little. Yeah, it's it's quite amazing. Uh, been in a number of hospitals over there, and one of the one of the uh, the last time I was there, uh, Karchi's wife was in for uh, I think she had a hysterectomy, and we I, I don't I didn't know what to expect because you never know quite what to expect, but when we went in, it was a room smaller than this, and there were four beds in there. There was mm-hmm. only about this much room to walk between the beds to get back to where the where the person we were going to meet with was, and. Uh, so we're there and we're talking to her and blah blah blah, and then we said, well, "Can we pray for you?" And she said, "Oh yeah, you know that'd be that'd be awesome." So laid hands on her and prayed for her. You know, we had our eyes open. 
we open our eyes and all the other three women are crying. Will you pray for us too? <laughs> it was just, so we couldn't even. So then, as we're as we're trying to get out of the room and we're praying for you know, and we literally it took us hours, a couple hours to get out of there. Prayed for the other three women. The room next door sent somebody over. We're here, we hear you're here praying for people, <laughs> and so we ended up going next door and praying for people. So it's you know it's very interesting. It was amazing, but it is it's it's culturally it's very different. Uh, than what we understand. So, so the help that he was getting from them was to pay for food, to pay for whatever medical supplies he may need, for clothing, for you know. Uh, my guess would even be to to uh, help tip the guard so that you get, you know, you actually have some ability to, you know, because it seemed like, and from what they had said, that he was able to meet with whoever wanted to come in, and so he had to have favor with the guards. It wasn't a you know, which is not necessarily normal. They don't have to do anything if they don't want to. But he he had great favor. So, um, very different system, very different uh, way of of uh, thinking. But in in understanding that, we see why he was so thankful for the gift. It was a huge blessing. It was it was a uh, it was a real answer to his needs. So. Verse 7. Oh, uh, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In our introduction last week, that was one of the things that I, that I, uh, that my notes, that, that I, notes that I am using brought out is that Philippians has a lot of notable verses. A lot of verses that people quote on a regular basis. And this is the first of many. Um, you know, uh, I am confident that it, that in this very thing that God will complete the work, um, bring in completion in you uh, the good work that was begun, and so it is a reassurement that God's plan will be fulfilled, that what He has started He'll finish, and we can we can trust in that. We can we can apply that to our own life that no matter what we seem to be going through at any given moment, whatever it may be, uh, some kind of trial, some kind of test, some kind of just a rough patch in life, that in the end, it's going to work out. In the end, God is going to complete what he started. And that he doesn't just take us part way and leave us. He fulfills it. He finishes it. And he finishes it. Now, the other thing, though, is it says that he'll, he'll complete it when? In the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus returns. When he returns. So, if he hasn't returned yet, he's not done. He's not done with us because Jesus hasn't returned yet. And so, you know, many times you think, how long do I have to put up with this? How long do I have to keep going through this? Well, Jesus hasn't come back yet. So, you know, until then... It's a week gonna... after you quit asking. <laughs> exactly. I haven't heard anyone go on to say when he's supposed to return lately. Yeah. <laughs> when was the last date? The oh, Mayan calendar the, ending. Probably the yeah. Mayan calendar. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was last month. So we're still cut. Actually, that was a year ago. What? That was 2012. That was 2013. No. That was a year ago. Yeah. Well, I'm really good then. <laughs> <laughs> In some ways, it's actually. 
kind of a stretch to even say that that's what it says here, is that when he's coming back. It just says until the day of Jesus Christ. Oh, it yeah. doesn't say when he's coming back at all. But yeah. but just saying that, he just said that it's, we haven't heard that right. recently. Yeah. yeah. That, uh, um, which is... Sort of. Have you heard about the? Uh, I was I was trying to think of whether I should even bring this up or not. Have you Have you heard about the Ariel Sharon prophecy? No. For some things, but maybe not Nobody's heard that. No, I heard you tell it. No. Oh yeah, I told. I was telling somebody else about yeah, it. I heard it before that, maybe from you, but yep. Somebody else. The mm, seven years ago, because he's been in a coma for six years. Mm-hmm. Seven years. Seven years. He's been in a coma for seven years. Eight years ago. Eight years ago, a a Jewish rabbi, and I will get his name, he was 108 years old and highly respected. Um, uh, let me find it real quick here. I'm sorry for... Is this about the letter that he left? Yes. On your letter? Mm-hmm. You have heard about that, Terry? Mm-hmm. From John or from somebody else? No, I was listening to a prophecy program this afternoon and the guy was talking about it. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I didn't just heard about the letter, I didn't hear about a, anything else really. That's what he's talking about, is the letter that this oh. rab, Jewish rabbi left. Right. And he he wrote it and then said it wasn't to be opened until a year after his death. Uh, the Jewish rabbi's name was Quick. Come up. Quick. I don't think I heard the whole thing. That's why. Ariel Sharon's death or the Jewish rabbi's death? Ariel Sharon's death. Well, I thought it was the rabbi. That's no. right. No. Well, well, they didn't open the sweater then, did they? Yeah, they have. Just wait. Rabbi Yitzhak. Kaduri. Kaduri, that's his name. Yitzhak Kaduri. He was 108 years old seven years ago. And he told his son and his followers, he said, for the last year, during his 108th year, he said, during the last year, the Messiah has been coming to me in my dreams and telling me that he is coming back, that he's returning. And um, he said, I am going to... um, write down the name of the Messiah. And when I write it down, it needs to be a sealed for one year after my death. And after one year, you can open it up. Whose death? The rabbi's death? The rabbi's death. So he died in two, in, in uh, um, 2006, seven, six. First part, oh, it was January. It was January of 2007. Okay. The rabbi. The rabbi. He died in, in 2007. At the end of January, or I'm sorry, at the beginning of January also of 2007, Ariel Sharon suffered a stroke, I believe, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And has was in a coma for seven years. He was in a coma. So this guy dies. Ariel Sharon goes into a coma. One year passes. 2008, they opened up the letter that he had written, and he, in it, it was he wrote a poem. And... I'm not going to read it. I suppose I could read it. Um, he reads this letter, and the letter reads, I'm sure there's a copy of it here. No, not in this Not in this article. But it, oh, there it is. No, that's not it either. But 
in the letter, in, in this thing, he wrote a poem. And if you take the first letter of each word in the poem, it spells out the name Yeshua, Jesus. It's the Hebrew word for Jesus. And so many of his followers said, well, we don't know what this means because he doesn't say the name in here. And other ones went, well, if you look at that, he says it's, he says it's Yeshua. But at the end of the poem, it says, and, the Yesh- and Yeshua will, re- or the, the Messiah will return after Ariel Sharon dies. Well, he hadn't even gone into a coma yet when this man dies, uh, died, obviously. And so seven years pass. Ariel Sharon just died last week. And so, hmm, interesting. So that and, and 50 cents will buy you a candy bar. But, <laughs> but it's just, it's interesting. So there you go. We, we haven't had one recently, but <laughs> any day now. Any day now. It doesn't now, give a date. It just says. It does not give a date. It will be after. It will be after. At some point in time. <laughs> it means it hasn't happened yet. You know, yes. it could be a thousand years afterwards. Exactly. Know. Yep. All right. So that escape from America. Oh, it's just it's WorldNet Daily. They got all kinds of black helicopter stuff on there. That's that's just the one that popped up when I was uh, reading it off of. All right. Well, how did we get there? Oh, it will be completed. The work that he's doing in us will be completed when Jesus shows up. And that's true. That's, that's a very, but he's not showed up yet, so he's still working in us. Verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. The they are in his heart. Here's, here's the first part we see about where he is, is gushing. You know, he's, he is very touched by them. And the reason, by, reason being is they stood with him through all of it, through the missionary journeys, through the, through the times, the good times, bad times, and now even while he's in prison, they're standing with him. When people stand with you during the rough times, that definitely will move on your heart. I mean, that's, that's where you find out who your true friends are, is, is are the ones that stick with you even when they don't have to, even when, even when it seems like all hope is lost. Uh, those are the friends that you want to keep. But we can, so we can see why uh, Paul is moved by their love. Verse 8, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that, you, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the full the fruit filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God so he has been praying for them and his prayer for them is that they will grow up in Christ, that they will continue to grow, that they'll continue to, to uh, um, excel, to be pure, blameless, and to be full of righteousness, the fruit of righteousness. So now, one of the things that this passage, this, this paragraph shows us is, this is a way that we can pray. We can pray these things for someone else. Paul prayed them. Um, we can pray them for our kids, for our friends, for, you know, uh, 
I usually pray pray the Ephesian prayers, which is much like this, for the church, that the eyes of our understanding will be full, will be open and full of light. Um, when somebody's going through something, you know, they're 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 having to make some very uh, uh, important decisions. That's always the prayer, right? And I know I can pray that. You know, we we can only pray what is the will of God. We otherwise we're wasting our time. Well, these prayers give us insight to what the will of God is because Paul prayed them and they were written down as scripture. And as we said, you know, on, on Sunday that, that scripture, when it was written down and accepted was inspired by God, God led him to write these things. And so this is a very safe thing we can pray. We can pray this for our kids. Lord, I pray that they will be blameless. I pray that they will, the fruit of righteousness will overflow in their lives. I pray that, and, and those are the prayers he wants us to pray because he wants them to be blameless. Now, they still have choices to make. They still have to live their own lives. But if they have praying parents, I, I know the power of praying parents and praying grandparents. And, you know, I'm, I'm a product of that. I'm a product of, of family members who kept praying for me even when there was, you know, seemingly no hope. So praise God we can do that and it has power it has authority and we can pray this because we know we don't have to trip over you know uh, what it doesn't say here interestingly enough is God make sure that you know I pray that they make the right choices well because we have to they make their own choices but we can pray that they be pure we pray that they be blameless and that is a safe uh, middle of the road prayer that we can pray for them, that they'll have the fruit of righteousness. Also, it's it's very specifically uh, spelled out that uh, we are to bear, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So that's a principle that's, that's explicitly endorsed in Scripture. And it's actually something that when uh, you gave the, the vision for the changing of the, the goal for the financial aspect, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you said pray for one another, that, that's actually, that resounded in me at that time, and I've been reminded of it a few times, and uh, I think that's actually the key for working, is that if, if you decide to actually do it that way, where, where I would be praying for specific other people, and the, that we connect each other in that way, that's actually very scriptural in, in, in its endorsement, and mm-hmm. it gets your mind off yourself, too, because there's a lot of ways that you, you engage your own worldly understanding it's kind of a self-defeating cycle when, when you're praying for yourself because you're you're in your own head and and it's it's much easier to remove that element of it when you're praying for someone else because uh, especially when when it's something that's not a, just a, a fix this person but it's a because I love them and this is the love of God that's the, the basis for this prayer that uh, that that is the will of God to, to to have love as the basis and to not mix a bunch of unbelief with it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Recognize that God is certainly able to to um, work in in their life, and, it, and He desires actually for us to be in unity. So, so I, I think that's actually an explicitly endorsed strategy for for us to to grow as a community and a body to to actually do it where we take focus off of ourselves and put it on others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And when we pray for someone else, when we sow the seeds of prayer for someone else, God will make sure that 
somebody's praying for you. Yeah, and we actually get blessed in the process. <laughs> exactly. You know, it, it's it is a it is the law of sowing and reaping fulfilled in it's powerful. You know, and the way we should be praying is Lord, you know, bless the work of their hands, bless their home, bless bless their businesses, bless the you know, their their job, whatever their job is, bless the products, you know, bless them and then but also praying for their family. Lord, I pray that that uh, uh, Terry's kids will abound in love more and more all the time and abound in knowledge and in discernment that they can that they uh, may approve what is excellent so that they'll be pure and blameless for the day of Christ fulfill the the fruit of righteousness filled with the fruit, fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for your glory God we pray that for Terry's kids right now in Jesus name I mean we can do that and when we do that there's power in that. I mean, you could even, I mean, as I was praying that, you could sense the, there's an anointing on those words. So when we do that for each other, you know, so I've, I've had people say to me, well, what would I pray for? You know, I mean, how long, how long am I supposed to pray? Whatever, you know, just what, you know, how, what, what can I pray? Man, that's something right there. That's powerful. That, that will bring fruit in people's lives. Jesus Christ is called the righteous one. He's also called the word made manifest. So if you're praying the word of God, you're actually, you are praying the, the righteous. This is a prayer of the righteous, which the Bible also says that the, the, the prayer of a righteous man is... is avails much. Avails much. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. kind of gets, gets several scriptures engaged at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a number of them. There's, there's prayers in... in in uh, Philippians, there's prayers in Ephesians. Colossians, uh, Colossians I think, has a... Yep. Um, there's many different places. And we can actually take those and then, and then you know, not recite them word for word just because, you know, there's some kind of somehow magic words. But we can put people's names into them. We can pray them as the Holy Spirit leads us. And they're powerful because they are, they are anointed scripture. So, hallelujah. Verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. Uh, okay. As most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So here he's talking about how what he's going through is actually a blessing. He sees it as an advancement of the gospel. Not only is Caesar going to hear the word, but all the prison guard, all of the imperial guard has heard the word now. They've heard the sermon, they've heard the, the message of Christ. And not only are more and more and more people hearing the preaching of the gospel, but the other brothers, the other people in the church are getting excited and going, you know, I can do this too. If Paul can do it from prison, it's emboldening them. And so is it beneficial? Sure, it is. And he hasn't even talked to Nero yet. He hasn't even talked to Caesar yet um, because he's still in prison. He's on a waiting list. And there's probably tons of people who are, who want to, who, who've appealed to, to Caesar, and so he's on a waiting list. He's waiting. So the the gospel is is growing more and more all the time. The kingdom 
is forcefully advancing from a man who's in prison, who's who is in chains, and yet the gospel is 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 doing exactly what it's supposed to do. So when we put ourselves into a position where where uh, um, God can use us, now, well, I guess I have to be careful with that. You know, uh, different. Forget that. Done. This is not what I was going to say. But uh, Marlene Dennison, Marlene Dennison, uh, Pastor Dan Dennison's sister, has been in the hospital, in and out of the hospital now for about three, four years with one ailment or another. And when she ends up having to go to the doctor, she gets excited because she said, "She goes every time I go in there, somebody gets saved." <laughs> And because she just preaches the word, she just you know, and she has the ability. She's like Pastor Dan. It seems like that family got a double dose of the uh, of the evangelistic uh, uh, anointing. But you know, she she's preached to to uh, to uh, uh, physicians, to doctors, to to the nursing staff, to other patients, uh, and she's seen people born again. She's seen people healed. Um, she was uh, there was a. Um, uh, she she was in for something and she was not doing well, and all of a sudden she tur- she spoke to her nurse and she goes, "I need to go down to the gift shop," and the lady goes, "You can't go to the gift shop. You can barely get out of bed." She goes, "I need to go to the gift shop right now," so she went down. She finally talked her into getting her down to the gift shop. She gets down to the gift shop, and just then, over the loudspeaker, they came out with a cold code red or code blue. What what is it when it's somebody's dying right now in front of? Him. Whatever, yeah. So you know, code. You know, there's lights flashing and people are running and the whole thing. And she grabs a hold of the nurse's hand and she goes, "We need to pray right now." And the nurse is like, "Right here, right now." She goes, "Yes, right now." She prayed, "Lord, I pray that you'll save the person, that you'll protect them, that that they will not die." And they blah blah blah. And goes, "Okay." And then she went back to shopping for whatever card she was looking for. And all of a sudden, the lights turn off and everything, and and a nurse comes walking back down the hallway and starts talking to the nurse that Marlene is. She goes, you would not believe this. It was absolutely amazing. She says, the lady was gone. She was dead. And all of a sudden, everything started working again. And Marlene goes, well, of course it did. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sounds like Marlene, right? And said, so it was, you know, the gospel was preached. Now, did God make her sick so that she has to go to the hospital? No. But what Satan meant for evil, God's going to use for, for good. And uh, she gets mad every time that something goes wrong with her body. She's like, all right, devil, more people are going to get saved. And so she she's Marlene. So here's the advancement of the gospel, even in a situation where it seems actually not good at all. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do... Do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And and in that I rejoice. So, what's happening, or apparently what's happening was... People were trying to stir up trouble for Paul. They were out there preaching the gospel, 
um, so that the the Romans would be upset that they you know the the judicial system would be against him. They were they were doing it for the wrong reasons. Some have said they were doing it for financial reasons. Some were some were saying they were doing it for other reasons. We don't know exactly. This is the only reference we have about this in history, so we really don't know what was their full intent. Apparently, the way he describes it is they were trying to stir up trouble so that he would have a rougher time in prison. But his his view on this is very interesting. Um, whether they did it for right intentions or right reasons or wrong ones, his answer is the gospel is being preached. So people ask me sometimes, because I, I am not a proponent of Christian television. Sorry, I wished I could be. I, I'd, love to, I'd love to be able to endorse people that are on TV. I'm on TV, so I actually feel bad about the fact that I can endorse. You know, I'm on cable access there. Good. We're, you know, and and my, one of my greatest fears is that God will tell us to start putting it on other stations and then we'll actually become known and you know, then I'll be a TV preacher. Right. <laughs> That's all I need. But there's a lot of people out there that are that seemingly to me, and maybe I should say that this is my own opinion, there are a lot of people out there, there are many people out there who are doing it for the wrong reasons. They're doing it for financial gain. They're doing it for notoriety. They're, 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 they're you know, I, and some of them I would even call them charlatans. They are, they are fleecing people, promising them something that is not biblical. They're preaching things that are not that are anti-truth, anti-Christ, and and I just it just pains me to no end. And every time I get really worked up about it, and I really start to think about it, the verse that keeps coming back to me is that one right there. Because I've heard of people who have gotten saved through those ministries. Why? Because not because of their intentions, not because of who those individuals are. But because what they're saying is biblical. When they talk about Christ, when they talk about being the need for being born again, when they talk about righteousness and peace and joy, those are all biblical principles that doesn't matter who says them. You know, you could bring Hitler in here and give him a script which is straight out of the Bible, and if he were to read it, it would be anointed. Not because of him, obviously, but because of the word itself. The word is powerful, and when the word is spoken. Now, converse to that, or not converse necessarily, but another way of looking at that is this. Years ago, uh, I was going to a Bible study much like this on a Wednesday night in a, in a church that I wasn't going to, but I was going there on Wednesday night because they had, there was a lot of young people going to this church to this Bible study, and it was really powerful, and the Spirit was moving, it was just wonderful. Well, one night the pastor came in, um, and he just looked like he was beat. Just, he looked like he was beat up. And after worship, he, he walked up front, and he goes, you know, here's the deal, guys. I, I don't, I can't really preach tonight. He says, I just don't have it in me. He said, I've been doing some of these, I just want to, I just want you to pray for me. I need you guys to pray for me tonight, because he says, all day long, he says, I've been with a friend of mine and trying to minister to him. And he says, I just, I feel absolutely worn out. I'm just, I'm just beat. He says, here's what's going on. He says, he says, this is a guy that I, that I went to a seminary with. It's a guy that he's been my best friend all the way through from college on. I said, he's, 
he's you know my family and his family hang out together or you know through the summers and he says I just found out this week that he's having an affair with one of the women in his church and he says I went there to confront him and to and to try to bring him back to his senses and he said while I was talking to him he says this friend of mine says but you don't understand he said God is blessing this relationship and he goes how in the world can you say that he's blessing this relationship? It's, his, it's anti-Bible. This is not a biblical relationship. He says, you are, you're in sin. There's no way God can be blessing this. And the guy says, well, look at my church. It's growing. People are getting saved. People are getting healed. Finances are coming into the church. He said, he says, you can't tell me that God's not blessing this relationship. And this pastor of the church that I was going to looked at him and he says, He's not blessing your relationship. He's blessing the preaching of the word. He's blessing individuals who are seeking God and blessing that. He says, you're in sin. And that is a, a very sobering thing. And, and I, I actually think of that a lot in, in being the pastor of the church. I don't look at things that are going good as God blessing whatever I'm doing. Because he, he will bless people despite me. And he will, he will help people even if I am screwing everything up. Just because things are going good doesn't mean I'm doing anything right. It's because God loves people. God showed me recently, and this is actually a very merciful thing for him to do. And he, he gave me context on, especially years past when I've been considerably more wrong. <laughs> and uh, that... Uh, when it says that God resists the proud, that He actually does, mm-hmm. and so when someone is is trying to minister and they're they're including a whole bunch of extra stuff that doesn't really belong there, that's really messing up the whole thing. There's there's a way that God actually kind of steps in in the way of that. So unless that's the teaching that the people have itching ears and want to hear. God will actually kind of close off the ears of the people around to, to really not hear them. So it doesn't really get in. Mm-hmm. And and I know that that's, that's something that God has... Um, it's terribly merciful because I've been considerably more wrong, <laughs> wrong in years past. And, and even, I mean, getting context on, on how wrong I was is, is just the fact that I didn't uh, reap the fruit of that and, and really have everybody... Um, kind of respond with how wrong I really was in, in that time frame I got kind of he showed it to me as his mercy that, that he resisted me you, you don't let your children run out in front of a Mack truck to get hit you, you stop them short of that and so he doesn't want us all to, to only have one lesson we learn yep you de- you're dead now you learned your lesson no he stops us shy of that because he's a loving father um, I think I think one of the things that's important here, and this actually, the, the scripture reminded me of this because in in the King James in verse fifteen it says, or where is it? In fifteen it says, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill, and that reminded me of James three, where James three sixteen it says, where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. And it's envy and strife in the King James and James also, but I, I think that there's something to that. When, when somebody's actually doing it in envy and selfish ambition or strife, 
that there is disorder. And so it's, it's, it's a way that God confounds the, the plans of them. So even if they have specific intent to make it hard on Paul, or if they have specific intent to, to lead people astray, that God actually confuses them. Mm-hmm. He, con- he causes that to not really work out quite as, as well as they would hope hoped it would. So mm-hmm. I, I think there, there's probably some element where um, Paul kind of knew that that I mean they can try but they're they're being resisted by God because he's not going to let that mm-hmm. have its full effect mm-hmm. you you see that I mean throughout history uh, Jim and Tammy Baker they were very dysfunctional I mean that that whole ministry all the, the individuals just everything around it was was very very dysfunctional and yet you could call it chaos yeah that one you could call chaos yeah <laughs> Just crazy, weird stuff. And yet thousands of people got saved through that ministry. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, God, you are merciful. God, you are amazing. That, that you know, yeah. So on that side, that's just amazing. On the other side is, then it really humbles me. Because he could use a donkey. You know, he could use, you know, and... And the fact that, that he can use us as individuals is just is amazing. It's it's just really cool on all sides is that that it's about him. And he and he's gonna keep it about him. And uh, so Hallelujah. We have fifteen minutes. No worries. <laughs> one chapter. Although we done. Although we're getting a lot out of one chapter, aren't we? We're just about halfway done. Just about. <laughs> To live is Christ. Yes. Uh, so verse... Yeah, second part of 18, beginning of 19. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through, through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is, my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is the second one. That's, that's another that, quote. Quote. Yep, yeah. another, another quotable quote there that, that many people quote. For to me, to live is Christ, and to, die, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus, because my coming to you because of my coming to you again. So, it was because of that, you you would ask the question, was this his first imprisonment or his second? It was his first, because I checked on what year he died. Uh, This was written in 61 AD. He died in 67 AD, so six years later. He was only imprisoned here for two years. Then he went before Caesar. Caesar, hearing him, went, okay, whatever, and released him. He went out and kept preaching then, and he preached uh, primarily in uh, Rome and kept getting more and more converts. It kept becoming more and more uh, countercultural, 
and then at the end they just killed him. They, there wasn't much of a of a there was wasn't much of an imprisonment, not, wasn't much of a trial. They just killed him. They wanted him. Uh, Caesar. Yeah, they just took him out and beheaded him. Yeah, yeah. Some say beheaded. Some say crucified. You know, but it's beheaded is probably the the more reliable uh, part of it. Those, those accounts are from historical records. Historical Here, records. Tradition. It's not recorded in the Bible at all. Okay. Yeah, it's tradition. Tra- traditional biblical, uh, but yeah. Who was crucified upside down? Peter. 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 Yeah. What book is it that Paul says he's being poured out as a drink offering? Uh, Timothy, isn't it? I think it's the end of Timothy. Jesus was upside down. No, Peter. 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 Yeah. 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 Second Timothy. So he dies, and he dies in sixty-seven. So here he's saying, he says, you know, here's the deal. I know the situation I'm in. And if I and I and I don't know how they're going to judge, and I don't know what's going to happen to me. But he says, whether I live or die, it's for Christ. If I live, great. I have more opportunity to preach the gospel. If I die, I go to heaven, and I'm with Christ. Which one should I choose? And he's basically making the argument for, hey, I'm ready to go home. I'm tired of this. But he says, because of your prayers, I'm pretty sure I'm I'm going to be here for a while. Why? Because I want to, you know, because you uh, you need me here. You need me here more than I need to leave. And so um, that is a, um, you know, it's a beautiful snapshot of where we should be, where our life should be. Do I need to live? Do I, do, should I, is it better for me to, to make it through whatever medical situation I'm dealing with right now or to, you know, to die or to live and be here to, to do what God wants me to do, or to die and go to heaven. Huh. Either one, I'm good. That's that's a that's an amazing uh, confidence to have in, in the, his relationship with Christ, and that's where we need to be. We need to be willing, kind of in between both places. We, we don't really care. If I live, I'm going to have more effectiveness here on this earth. If I die, I'm going to be with Christ. Okay. I know that when I was in Belarus the very first time, it was the first day I was in Belarus, and I was electrocuted. I got hit with electricity, went through through my chest, which should have killed me. It didn't. Uh, still have the burn marks on my hands where, where the electricity went in and out of my body. Um, laying on the ground, the only thing that I was even slightly concerned about was Ethan was one years old. And I knew that I, I would not. I didn't think I would see my son grow grow up, grow up. But as far as being between life and death, and really caring whether you know, you know, was I worried about dying? It was the most amazing feeling. I and I'll never forget it. I lay there and went, I could die right now. It wouldn't bother me a bit. I mean, it was as as far as my relationship. My you know, I was not fearful of death. I, I tell people that you know, especially people who are at that point in life it's like there is a grace there that is beyond anything you can imagine now I didn't want to leave my wife I didn't want my my son to grow up without a father you know all those things that's that's human that's that's a, a human reaction but even that wasn't grief or it wasn't overwhelming it was it was well God's out if, if I'm gonna if I don't make it through this he's got a plan there's a you know that he, he can take care of my son he can take care of my wife so on and so forth, but 
Paul was just in that amazing place where, you know what, whatever happens here, I'm happy. I'm good. I can take care, you know, I, I can take it or leave it. I can take either one. Verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and, and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. That is a beautiful verse. That is just that, you know, when, when whoever your opponent is, whoever whoever is standing up against you, that we live our life that's worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that no matter what, it is a it's a testimony of who Christ is and beautiful. It's a clear sign to them of their destruction. Not of your destruction, but of theirs. Because their destruction is, is more severe than anything they could do to you. Paul's looking at, they could kill him. Well, the problem is, or the, 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 not a problem, the, 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 it's a problem to the ones who, you know, the, his opponents, is their destruction will be far worse than his destruction. Because he only has to die once. They end up dying twice. And for eternity. That is the that is the the uh, overwhelming uh, confidence that he had that he knew who he was and who Christ was in him. So this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also <laughs> suffer for His sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw, I had, and now hear that I still have. Does God ordain people to suffer for the gospel? Yes. Yes. It's not. A, it's not a trick question. <laughs> the answer is yes. Now. Well, well, I was just going to say, so some he, he knows that some people are going to suffer through this life, and some people aren't. For the gospel. For the gospel. Yes. Okay. You know, because, okay, so people, people have, I've been in many different uh, discussions, because do I believe that it's God's will for people to be sick? The answer is no. I don't believe it's ever God's will for people to be sick. People do get sick. Because we live in a fallen world, but th- there is the the one exception, and not because of sickness, but God does call people to be martyrs. He does. It is very clear throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, all the way through. There is a place where God says, "You know what? I'm, you are going to suffer for the gospel." He said that about Paul. Paul needed. To, to be to have the gospel preached to him because he was going to suffer much for the gospel and he was he was beaten he was he was stoned he was you know, almost drowned he was in shipwrecks he was left to die and with no food he was he was imprisoned he was whipped he was you know he he suffered for the gospel's sake do you think people know that 
that they're suffering for the gospel. Oh yeah. People, uh, most well, people, when they are, it, I'm, I'm dying. When they, when they are suffering for Christ, they if do. if they're dying of a disease that isn't necessary, that to me that's not dying for the the gospel of Christ. It's it's they're suffering for their stance on the gospel. Uh, Jim Elliot, as a missionary to the uh, tribes in South America, he died at the hands of, of the tribe. But there was a purpose behind that. It was because of that act that later the gospel was preached to them again and they received it. Is that the one where his son and the guy who murdered him yes, are together? our best friends. Yeah. There's a, a bigger meaning to the word suffering too that it's important to to know, um, and it absolutely includes the things where you would be in prison or put to death, but, but the, there's an element of, of putting up with, that suffer actually means to, to kind of put up with something that maybe isn't desirable to go through and, and to endure. There's, a, there's an enduring quality to the, the word suffer, and so in some cases suffer as it's used in the Bible, is speaking specifically of that. Well, it's not being two different things. It's all, it's all the same thing, but it, but it doesn't always look like people putting you in prison or beating you. It, it could be that you, you might need to hold your tongue. Just being persecuted even when, in some way. What's that? Just being persecuted well, in some way. Well, so let me finish this example. So it might mean you, you need to hold your tongue in, in a situation where, where people are are not necessarily um, speaking the truth. Because to, to learn how to, to actually minister to them in love does not always look like an argument in the middle of that setting. So it, it actually would, would inform you to, to really tolerate that in that setting so that you could actually address that in a way that's that's honoring to God. Because if I disagree with something you said and I start fighting with you across the room, is that honoring to God? It really most of the time it would not be. Um, and and so is there is there a place for for an agreement to to come in a way that is honoring to God? I think absolutely yes. So if if you were to say something that I highly disagreed with, is it my place to Kind of let that be tolerated in this setting, and then to come to you in private and talk to you about it later. And I think that that the answer is yes. And so I, I think that that that's an element on the on the more day to day kind of experience that is that is practical and it's important. Not that I'm trying to minimize suffering down to something tiny because it's obviously not. It, it has the potential to get all the way to the you're put to death for. For the cause of Christ, but on a very practical sense, on a day-to-day basis, there are times when you might have to not defend yourself. You might have to kind of let let things just um, go according to what's happening, because it would be a violation of the love of God to to to, to change it in that particular setting. If, if that makes sense, I hope it does. Humility, being humble. Concerned. Yeah, sure. <coughs> Amen. All right. Look at that. One chapter. Good job. <laughs> You're a minute late, though. You want to pray? Finish this all done? That's my fault. I'm a minute late. <laughs>
Well, let's pray. Thanks, Justin. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving us this opportunity to study your word. Pray that everybody gets home safe and sound today. Lord, you are awesome. Stealing words from other people here, but on just the depth and magnitude of your word is actually astounding to me today. I, I am comprehended. I pray that other people here are too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.